Hi, everyone, and welcome to the next big thing in health, a podcast from AHIP. I'm your co-host, Matt Isles. And I'm Laura Evans. Today, our guest is Sachin Jane, CEO of Scan Health Plan. We will talk to Dr. Jane about Scan Health Plan's efforts to increase equity in the populations that need it most and have been historically overlooked. Meet Zupari, the first and only CX platform created for health insurance. When it comes to building a better member experience, having the right tech is everything. With Zupari's CX platform, you're plugged into a powerful set of modern technology built specifically for this industry. With the member at the center of a well-orchestrated and personalized experience, everyone benefits. Meet your members where they are with engagement that has purpose, Zupari. Let's break through together. Thanks for joining us today, Sachin. Great to be here with you, Matt and Laura. Yeah, it's always great to have a return guest. I know there's a lot that's happened. No, you got, you got, you know, like, you know, barrage with mail asking for me to come on again. So here, here I am. Here I am. I mean, I we had to bring you back. Command performance. Absolutely. I love Absolutely. it. As I was, uh, you know, mentioning earlier, really excited to talk about this uh, topic with you. I know how committed you and Scan are to promoting health equity, reducing disparities, um, especially among racial and ethnic groups. And I think health equity. We can all agree, health equity remains one of our ongoing challenges. I know it's also one of our priorities as an industry and at AHIP, and I think COVID has showed us even more clearly just how disparate outcomes can be among groups in this country. And I know that's why one of the reasons that SCAN is working so hard to address this issue. So maybe we can start by talking about the Harvard Business Review study that was so important from July that shows the impact SCAN has had on the reduction of racial and ethnic medication adherence uh, disparities. Why do you think there's such a big disparity among racial and ethnic groups in this area? And, and what are some of the key findings and learnings from that study, Sachin? Well, yeah, so you know, just to frame, frame the conversation a little bit, it's, it's spring of 2020, George Floyd is just murdered. And every healthcare company in the country is you know, putting out a statement that they stand with Black Lives Matter and they're committed to health equity and reducing disparities. I saw all these statements and I said, you know, wow, I wonder what's going to be different at these companies as a result of these statements and as a, as a result of this, you know, virtue signaling to the marketplace about what their company values are. Um, I think the team at SCAN looked at this and said, this is an opportunity to actually show people that we're different. We'd known for years that medication adherence was different across African-American Hispanic and Caucasian members. We've, we work really hard across all of our members to try to get our uh, medication adherence rates up. Uh, they're clear, clearly an important part of Medicare star ratings, but we always had a gap. We knew about this gap and we kind of acknowledged it. We understood it. And coming out of the racial turmoil from 2020, we said, we're going to close this gap. And I'll just say, you know, just to detour for a quick second, I've been in and around this healthcare disparity space since my first year of medical school. I mean, there's a lecture about health, you know, that was when those first studies were being published around, you know, kind of blind treatment of patients and whether treatments were similar or different. 
And we've, you know, first start, we're documenting disparities and then academic researchers were talking about solving disparities. But I kind of made a transition to a career in industry. I saw no efforts to really try to systematically reduce disparities. And so we did something pretty bold, which is we said we were going to reduce our disparities in our in medication adherence between our Caucasian, Hispanic, and, and our African-American members. And we're going to actually put our money where our mouth is as an executive team. We tied director and above instead of compensation payments, uh, a, a good you know 10% of those payments uh, to whether we were actually closing the, the disparity or not. And I will tell you, I learned a lot of important lessons through this work. Number one, it's really hard to close disparities. Number two, money is a big motivator. You know, when you put people's paychecks on the line, they will get really, really creative really fast. Um, you know, we went from just intensifying kind of what we were already doing, outreach calls, you know, interventions related to medical groups to getting super creative. You know, our folks ended up developing photo novellas for people, you know, Spanish speakers to get them kind of more on board with the importance of taking their medicines. And by year's end, after, you know, a lot of kind of bumps, um, we were able to close, close those gaps. It wasn't cheap. It wasn't free. Um, we invested significant resources, you know, to the tune of, you know, almost a million dollars and incremental effort. Um, but we think it was worth it. We think it was, a, it's a demonstration project to our industry. I think we're, we're coming out and we're saying it's no longer enough to talk about healthcare disparities. It's no longer enough to virtue signal. You actually have to close them. You have to invest resources in closing them. And you have to create, you know, motivation at the top levels of organizations to get beyond, you know, the fancy uh, press releases and actually put your money where your mouth is. And so my challenge to every listener on this podcast to go back to your organization, go back to your executive leadership and say, we want to be held accountable for closing these gaps. Um, and let's create a movement around this. You know, let's stop talking about the existence of disparities and let's start closing them. And Dr. Jen, you talk about how, you know, this has been around for a long time. We really just started talking about it, really focusing on it in 2020 when everything was kind of, you know, falling apart. Did you, um, did you find that it, it wasn't until that those executive bonuses were offered and the money, it was, it was the money that really made a difference? Yeah, um, I mean, what I'll say is, is it was a focuser, right? It was by, mm -hmm. by mid-year when it became clear we were not going to hit our target, mm -hmm. you know. Um, there was a lot of agitas. I mean, when you've got 10, I think it was 10 to 15%, you know, up to, up to 15% um, at risk, you know, people suddenly start to say, oh, we got to gotta get our act together. We got to yeah. fix this. And again, I think, you know, you know, some skeptics listening to this could say, well, you know, is it really about money? Does it, does, should it really require money to motivate people's actions? I think it says something about an organization's values, Right. When I was part of publicly for, for publicly traded for-profit companies, the one thing that your bonus was tied to was economic performance of the company. How you did that year? Did you hit earnings? And everybody watched that earnings every quarter and everyone was willing to kind of burn the furniture to meet those earnings. That's that's what that world was, that's what that world was like. In our world, what we're saying is, you know, we care about performance, but we're gonna set aside some percentage of your total bonus opportunity to actually align. With social justice, to align with health equity, to align with closing these racial disparities, and and frankly, I'm I'm just a little bit sad. I haven't gotten calls from my peers at companies all around the country saying, "How do you do it? We want to do the same thing," because that's what should happen coming out of this. 
And that was, um, and that was my next question yeah. was, you know, are there other organizations that are starting to take this on? Like, like in the model that you have set and, and my, my question after that is what else have you done beyond the money to, to try to, um, you know, reduce disparities and, and tackle this issue? There, there aren't, but you know, I'm my challenge to every AHIP member organization, my challenge to every, you know, uh, hospital health system, medical group in the country is you can do a form of this. You can do a form of it right now and you can make the world a more just place. You can reduce the number of strokes and heart attacks happening among your patients, particularly among minorities that have been discriminated against, you know, for years and years and years. That's the opportunity here. And um, wouldn't it be nice to actually like align your actions with the statements that you're making? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it really is. And, And so, such and beyond the the financial incentives and and clearly incentives can be a very powerful motivator. Uh, we we know that. Um, what else do you think that people should focus on? Financial performance is obviously very important, but what else should they be focusing on if they want to make progress on reducing disparities? Well, I think some of it is just getting comfortable talking about bad news. I think one of the things that was is hard for organizations are hard for organizations where um, you know, people feel like they're doing a good job um, to, to get comfortable saying out loud, yes, we do a good job and we do a bad job with this subset of the population. And I think we create a lot of artificial barriers at the organizational level. Um, we say, oh, it's, it's not okay that we're looking at things on our, you know, by race basis because it may look like we're trying to discriminate. A prior organization that I was a part of when I tried to substratify data, some of the reg- regulatory and compliance folks said, there's some risks that we're introducing here. So it's, it might be better to not look at this because we'll be careful about what we found. Matt, you and I work, both have, have done tours in the pharmaceutical industry. One of the kind of key principles in that industry is don't ask a question that you're not prepared to, you know, for the answer for, right? Yep. And so um, there's, there's that risk aversion. I think there's some of that in a lot of organizations, which is we're not always interested in looking at this data. So I would say it starts with just having an honest internal conversation about where are we today? And then having an honest conversation about where, where do we want to be? And I think it can't be one and done. I mean, that's one lesson from this that I, I, I think we learned a little bit through the year. I, you started to see, as we started to focus on other things, some of the kind of gas coming off the pedal a little bit, your foot coming off the pedal rather, you know, on some of these things. And I think, you know, this just has to become business as usual. And so it was a big initiative for us last year. I think we're now in the process of taking it from big initiative to just how we do business. And I'm super excited. It's it's premature to talk about it just given Medicare filing deadlines, but we're doing some really exciting this, things this year with our products around the LGBTQ plus population. Um, again, to kind of show the art of the possible that we can actually start to build distinctive offerings for sub-segments of the older adult population who aren't necessarily being well-served by, you know, kind of our traditional products and services. At Zapari, we're on a mission to make health insurance better for everyone. Our unique and exclusive health insurance focus allows us to create solutions that help you acquire and retain members, capitalize on operational efficiencies, boost satisfaction, and improve member outcomes. We offer unparalleled consumer insights and API-first configurable solutions that add lift to your existing investments with experts that passionately advocate for technology that does what it promises. 
deliver value, and improve the health insurance experience. Zipari, let's break through together. I want to talk about healthcare in action. And for those of our listeners who don't know, this is a, a homeless medical group that uh, SCAN created. What prompted SCAN to Health Plan to create this program and how is it working to address racial and ethnic disparities? Yeah, the fastest growing population of people experiencing homelessness, most people would be shocked to hear, uh, is actually older adults. And, you know, when we scan looked at that, we're, you know, an organization focused on promoting the health and independence of older adults. We said, we have to do something about this. And in, in Los Angeles County, where, where I live and where SCAN is headquartered, homelessness is an epidemic in plain sight. You, you see it everywhere you go and people have become numb to it. And, you know, it's interesting. I was a student of public policy before I was a student of medicine. And one of the kind of most important lessons I learned in my public policy studies is how you define a problem actually influences how you solve that problem. And at the end of the day, we as a country have started to define homelessness as a housing supply problem. And in fact, could just be my bias as a healthcare provider. Homelessness is a healthcare problem. Uh, healthcare is both a cause of homelessness. It's also an exacerbate of homelessness. And so we started to think, and I, I started this thinking you know, uh, when I was at Caremore uh, previously, which is a you know, division of Anthem, where you know, we were supposed to be taking high care of high-risk, high-need patients. And our team said, we're not equipped to do this. And if there's a population in the world that needs an intensive, high-risk, high-cost patient management model, it's people experiencing homelessness. And so, and I actually started to think from a total cost of care perspective in Medicare Advantage, when you look at the additional, additional risk adjustment that can come from taking care of people with a higher burden of illness, there's probably an opportunity to create real healthcare system savings if you're actually able to apply intensive primary care and behavioral health. Long answer to your question. So we've, we've built a street-based primary and behavioral health model called Healthcare in Action. And what our mission is simple. We wanna take the dollars that are right now going into hospital admissions, ICU stays, emergency room visits, and reallocate them to intensive primary care and behavioral health to make those other things unnecessary. And um, we think that that, you know, um, you know, we're, we're right now several hundred patients into this. Um, you know, we've actually housed a number of our patients. We're in the process of, you know, kind of tabulating our total cost of care data and the savings. But we're optimistic that we're building a model that, you know, any managed care organization in the country can use to leverage state and federal funds, Medicare and Medicaid dollars, uh, to actually better care for a, a, a patient, a group of people, and, you know, potentially get them into transitional housing, respite care, and maybe get them housed long-term um, because we've stabilized some of the medical issues that sometimes it's addiction, sometimes it's un untreated chronic disease, sometimes it's untreated mental illness that, that ultimately gets people you know, into a place where they could permanently be housed um, or return to their families or, or whatnot. Well, that, that really just illustrates how complicated these issues are, but also how inter interrelated they are. And that's a terrific way of thinking about it. And clearly SCAN's been committed to those who are too often ignored. And you highlighted the you know, real crisis, I think, in, in Los Angeles. And I know I've been out there uh, visiting, seeing it uh, you know, firsthand. I mean, what's driven SCAN uh, health plan to focus on underserved populations to make meaningful progress. And, and maybe you, I'm just thinking back to one of the, your 
um, answers or comments uh, on an earlier question. Maybe you could talk a little bit about how important data is in all of this too, uh, because I don't know if maybe our listeners really recognize the role that data plays, whether it's good data or lack of data um, in terms of addressing some of these problems and making a difference. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so, you know, to answer your first question, I mean, I think it starts with our, at, at the board level. I mean, we have a board uh, of people who are, you know, I think concerned about social justice, concerned about solving problems that, you know, others have decided are either too difficult or, or too expensive to solve and are enabling us to make investments in trying out big and bold new things. And I would say, you know, other healthcare organizations, you should take notice of this. I mean, you know, lots of folks are starting venture funds. Um, they're making, you know, kind of investments in financial instruments. I think making investments in the community is what the obligation is of particularly nonprofit organizations, but all organizations that are operating in healthcare. The data piece of it is, is super interesting because I think it is our greatest opportunity to identify opportunities to get better and opportunities to improve. And I think we've gotten more sophisticated over the last you know, decade coming out of the High Tech Act, um, you know, where you know, there is more and more electronic health data, which allows you to stratify populations, allows you to understand what's happening at a granular level. And it's, it's also important that you start to collect a lot of demographic data that we historically thought was unimportant. I referenced our focus on trying to build products for the LGBTQ plus population. We're in the process of trying to really capture people's self-identified gender identity and sexuality so that we can start to kind of see people for who they are. And so I think this question of collecting data, your point about absence of data, Matt, is a really, really good one. If the, if the data doesn't exist, it's impossible to build these programs, know that they need to be built, impossible to know, to know who to, to whom to target them. And so I think any organization that wants to go on a real journey around health equity needs to start with just a clear view of who the people you are, are who you are serving and what it is that they actually need. And we can't talk about health equity without addressing the pandemic, because we all know that the pandemic has not hit all populations equally. And the government, as we know, just uh, greenlit new COVID boosters. Um, so I want to ask you, Dr. Jane, how can we make sure that all populations are informed and given access? You know, once again, this has come up with every booster, every vaccine that's come out. How can we address this once again, so that all populations are given equal access to these boosters as they continue to come out? I think, you know, misinformation is the problem of our times in healthcare and people's sources of information, divergent motives around kind of presenting half narratives, three-fourths narratives around both, you know, COVID-19 as a disease, as well as the set of treatments and vaccinations that have been developed around it um, are really problematic and emblematic of what I think we're going to be fighting over the next couple of decades. So I don't really have an answer to this question, except to say that we need to exercise more humility. I mean, what I can say is that a lot of our public health communications failed, um, not because they were wrong, but because they lacked humility. There was you know, confidence presented where we shouldn't have had confidence. And I think all of the best communicators around health um, are, are able to convey you know, a simultaneous direction, but also convey, you know, the fact that there's imperfect information, imperfect science. This is a rapidly moving field. And I believe that, you know, the more we can get people thinking that we are humble, 
the more that I think we will get them to believe that we are trustworthy. Because at the end of the day, most people really don't trust people who are very certain about uncertain things. <laughs> and everyone knows the pandemic, just intuitively as human beings, forget our professional identities. We knew that the pandemic was an uncertain time. When someone comes and says, we, we must do X or we should do Y, um, you know, when they're seeing the same information and data that we're all seeing, which is uncertain and incomplete, um, it actually drives our confidence lower. And I think we've seen just too many examples of where public health officials, commentators have come out really strong on one side, and then to come out the next week and say something different. So I think for all of us who work in healthcare, the answer is more humility, less certainty in our communications, um, more empathy, frankly, for one another, because I think a lot of us are coming at these, the, these situations from very different starting points. If you're an immunocompromised ESRD patient with 12 stents and a pacemaker, you're going to be thinking about the pandemic really differently than a healthy 22-year-old kid who's just dying to get back to college. Those are two people in my lives that I've just kind of <laughs> you know, laid out, right? And you may even share a roof. You may even share a household. And so, again, I think it's just important to convey both humility as well as empathy for people just based on their specific circumstance. We always ask one last question of our guests. And you know what? I'll, I'm going to throw it back to Laura to ask this question, change things up on the fly. <laughs> so what's the next big thing in health? <laughs> you, you tell us, Dr. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be a little crazy today. I think it's vegetarianism. What? Um, wow. I actually think it might be vegetarianism. I, you know, so it's, in, it's, it's interesting. You know, I'm, I'm an East coast guy. I grew up vegetarian, never had a bite of meat except by accident in my life. I moved to California eight years ago and I've just seen the popularity of vegetarian only restaurants go up. And I've been tracking it and trying to understand the trend more. And it turns out that a number of communities, the church is actually preaching to people that they shouldn't eat as much meat because it's bad for their health. And so you see more and more people a vegetarian lifestyle. And so I think it's going to be a thing. That's, that's what I'm going to say. All right. so. How about intermittent fasting? Zapari helps health plans break through barriers and empower members to take charge of their own healthcare journeys. Our superior member experience solution is the one-stop shop for CX with intuitive portals, robust and data driven CRM systems and a CX engagement hub. Plans can break through the barriers to drive members toward healthier actions through optimized self-service, fewer calls, less paper, reduced overall costs, higher star ratings, and best-in-class management. Zapari, let's break through together. Well, you know, uh, maybe that too. Maybe that too. But I, but I will say, I think vegetarianism is, right. is going to make make a bigger, bigger, bigger presence. So. Okay, you heard it here first. Yeah, that's right. Great. Well, Sachin, always great to have you join us today. Thanks so much uh, for being with us. It's been great. Awesome. Thanks for having me.